0: Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So, hope you guys have enjoyed the last few episodes. Like, I think the response to Coach's Corner, episode 252, if you haven't listened to that one already, was mind boggling. The responses, the messages, the DMs, and the text messages from clients and stuff like that, and how we kind of like it was if we were in the room talking to them. So, please do go and listen to episode 252 and on the back of that the idea for this episode came on and this is going to be a solo episode Um, i know i haven't done one for a little while potentially since the beginning of march so it'll be kind of a couple of months and i'm going to try and kind of try and do these a little bit more often as i feel it's important for me to try and get my ideologies across and kind of have you give you guys an idea of some of the tools that we use with with our own clients um so before I kind of go into it we will be opening up a couple of spaces for clients at the minute uh, to be working with us and this is important to know because we are kind of expanding the the amount of clients that we are going to be working with on a one to one basis and we don't open slots unless we have slots we kind of keep our the numbers kind of relatively small and I don't know there's other client other coaches who have have a lot a lot of clients we keep our numbers small so you guys get the best value out of us you have us on a regular basis you get the love and attention that you guys want and deserve so if you're interested in working with us please pop me a dm afterwards or apply in the the link um in the the show notes so today's episode is on breaking up with what with yo-yo dieting once and for all so i think we need to first understand what the yo-yo dieting is so yo-yo dieting is also known as weight cycling and describes the pattern of losing weight regaining it and then dieting it so it's a process that causes weight to go up and down like a yo-yo that's essentially what it means this is quite common and it can be quite common and a little bit more common in women as women are quite are targeted a lot more with kind of weight loss because of magazines kind of the media and having to, and a little bit more pressure on them to look a certain way to society that does happen for men it's just in a different narrative So yes, there are certain narratives towards men in relation to building muscle and looking a certain way, 100%. Women have for years, and the narrative is shifting, that they need to be slim, in inverted commas, it needs to be accepted by society. That is not the case. That is absolutely not the case. You don't need to lose weight to be accepted by society. That is one of the biggest myths that's out there currently. One of the biggest things for you right now is that you can do yourself the biggest favor and those around you right now is looking at what you actually truly value, what you actually want rather than what you want or what everyone else wants of you. I think I've spoken about this on podcasts and I was on a guest on a podcast this morning. One of the things that kind of came in is the validation thing in relation to looking for validation from other people and getting those little notes along the way of of kind of getting those positive comments when you look a certain way or you've lost a little bit of weight or whatever it may be those comments can also be harmful for some people i know i was getting them comments on weight loss when i was at my attention my lowest point but that's me attaching bias to it and that's what we end up doing is when we're getting positive comments or what we perceive as positive positive comments of when we are kind of losing weight or we're getting comments that we're fitting into our clothes or you look great on a night out or whatever maybe they are great but they are great in the right hands if you're using that, that, that that the only metric that I can be to be accepted by society, that's when it becomes an issue. But the important thing for kind of breaking up with yo-yo dieting, and the number one tip is to change your relationship with food. Okay, so the biggest thing that I will say right now is food is always going to be there. The biggest thing I would say is food is always going to be there. We need to improve our eating habits and our eating behaviors. Like sometimes, if you think about it, sometimes the, the, the strongest food craving hit when you're at your weakest point emotionally. So think of it this way, when you've had a lower day, you're a little bit more stressed, you're potentially at a certain point in your cycle. And you may turn to food for comfort, consciously or unconsciously. You may not even realize that you're in the press. So then you're facing a difficult problem, feeling stressed or even feeling bored or whatever it may be. So emotional eating can sabotage some people's weight loss efforts. And this sabotage thing can kind of come down to the element of fear of failure or fear of succeeding, whether we actually truly value and truly believe that we can succeed in whatever our goal may be. And the, the fear of failing is, well, you first you need to define what failure is and you need to define what success is for you. So it could be that you're fitting into clothes more regularly. You don't need to go out and buy a new outfit. Have you seen what I've tried to do? I'm trying to make it not weight loss and, more, and not scale related victories. So when we emotionally eat, which we all do, think of positive emotional eating too, around Christmas and Easter and all that kind of stuff. It can often lead to eating too much, especially too much kind of high calorie foods. So think of like the high carbohydrate stuff or the the highly processed foods or more sugary. So what's actually going on when you are quite emotional? What's happening is your brain is associating a particular feeling or an epicenter. Little light bulb going off in it when we hit a certain emotion that you have fueled through childhood. So, if you were given a food to you when you got a little bit sick or you got a little bit low, your brain and your epicenter has kind of like built a muscle in order to respond in that way. So, when we go into that emotion again, we need that food again in order to trigger that light in our brain that it's looking for. But the problem is, we need more for that brain and that light bulb to continuously grow and, and kind of like um prosper and kind of light and keep that light going so it's this vicious circle and then the there are ways to kind of like create um solutions to emotional eating so there's a massive difference between binge eating and emotional eating binge eating is that you cannot stop even if you wanted to okay so that's That's the big thing. You cannot stop even if you want to. It's like an almost outer body experience. That is the biggest caveat I have to say before this. Emotional eating is you choose to eat to numb the emotion for temporary relief and you can't stop if you want to. That is the biggest thing. There are eating disorders out there, and that's when binge eating comes in. And some people may have disordered eating in that they rely on food or emotionally eat in order to numb an emotion for a short-term solution. So we need to look at how the food, the mood, food, weight loss cycle actually works. So emotional eating is is eating a way to suppress or soothe the negative emotions such as stress, anger, fear, boredom, sadness, and loneliness. Major life events or commonly the hassles of daily life can trigger negative emotions that lead to emotional eating and disrupt your weight loss efforts. These triggers might include relationship conflicts, work, or lack of boundaries at work, fatigue, chronic tiredness, financial pressures, when the kids get sick, health problems for yourself. Although some people eat less in the face of strong emotions, I'd be one of those that when I get stressed I don't really eat, which isn't a great response either. If you're in emotional distress, you might turn to impulsive or binge eating, which is what I said already. You lose control. and I cannot stop. Quickly consuming whatever's convenient without actual enjoyment. You're actually not present with the food. You're actually not enjoying the food. We're trying to numb that and we're trying to get that epicenter in the brain, that light bulb in the brain working. In fact, the emotions can actually become so tied to your actual eating habits that you automatically reach for, a sugary food or that sugars not bad or more processed food whenever you're angry or stressed out even thinking about what you're doing so social so emotionally tied into what you have done for a very very long time that you don't even realize you're doing it you don't realize that you're in the press already so food also serves as as a distraction so if you're worried about an upcoming event or stewing over a kind of a conflict or an argument that you may have had for instance you may focus on eating comfort food instead of dealing with your painful situation, rather than actually dealing, facing up, and stepping up and addressing what's actually truly going on. So, whatever emotions you drive you to overeat, the end result is often the same. The effect is temporary. The emotions return, and then you, and likely then you bear the version of the, the kind of the, the initial, the additional bur- version or burden of guilt, and about setting back your weight loss goal. And then we feel like we've slashed all our tires on our car and we can't go anywhere. When the best thing you can actually do in that situation is win your next meal. Win your next meal is the biggest trick. But this can lead to an unhealthy cycle. Your emotions trigger when you tend to overeat. You beat yourself up for losing, so-called being on track and off track. You feel bad and you overeat again in order to numb that emotion. So that circle continues. But... How do we actually get back to where we actually want to go or we say we want to go? And this is important that we need to understand why do we actually want to lose the weight in the first place? That's the biggest thing. Most people think that they want to lose weight. That'll make them feel better. Yes, it can have massive health benefits. It can make some people feel better. But we have to look at why are we struggling to lose the weight? Is it the approach? Is it not dealing with the relationship with food itself? Or is it not... Is it kind of listen to the stories that we created? So how do we actually get back to kind of deal with these little triggers? Because remember, a gun cannot go off without a trigger. So when negative emotions threaten to trigger your emotional eating, you can take steps to control what's going on. And one of the big things that we kind of work on with our clients is implementing a pause. So keeping a food diary, write down what you eat, how much you eat, when you eat, how you're feeling, when you eat it beforehand and how you're feeling afterwards. Over time, you'll recognize patterns that it's happening in the evenings. you recognize it's happening when certain stressors are at work. You'll recognize a certain deadlines. you recognize a certain times of the month. So keeping a food diary or keeping a food log, I'm not saying that you need to weigh out your food and say I'm having 30 grams of oats or whatever it may be. What I'm saying is keeping a log of, I'm having this food, but I'm feeling negative, and then I'm having this amount of food in order to deal with it. And the big thing that we try to work on with clients in this in this space, is in relation to interrupting that pattern, interrupting that behavior. So if you find yourself, perfect example is you're sitting on TV, watching, you're sitting on TV at home and you're feeling a little bit lonely or you're feeling a bit isolated and you're, you're finding yourself, right, I'm looking for food, I'm looking for food, I'm looking for food. That's a habit that has been created over time. So you're, just, you're looking for food to numb that feeling of, of loneliness. So you ask yourself, am I hungry enough for food right now or fruit right now? fruit, F-R-U-I-T. If the answer is no, well then we're not hungry. We also have to look at the difference between physical hunger and psychological hunger. Physical hunger comes on slowly, so psychological hunger comes on really, really quickly. So if it's just coming out of the blue, it's psychological hunger. If it's a gradual effect, well then it's physical hunger. So if you're finding yourself that you are in the evenings or whenever time you're you're finding that you're, you're picking or whatever it may be, asking yourself, where, where am I? What do I need right now? Am I actually hungry? If I'm not hungry, why do I need food? Food's not going anywhere. Food hasn't solved the emotional issue before you previously. It's given you this kind of little bit of a, uh, a jolt or it's kind of given you this little bit of relief, but it hasn't solved it for you. So there's the feedback. Food hasn't solved anything. Food is always going to be there. Ask yourself, are you hungry? What do you need right now? Is this psychological hunger or physical hunger? There's also hunger scales. On a scale of 1 to 10, how hungry are you? If you're 1 to 4 hungry, eat. If you're 7 to 10 hungry, well then you're not hungry. It's something else going on. The question I always ask myself is, am I hungry enough for fruit? If I'm hungry enough for fruit, I will have it. So if you're implementing that pause and you're saying, well, I'm actually not hungry. Key is, write out on that piece of paper and say how you actually feel. If that's a struggle, ask yourself, what do you need right now? If you're lonely, why not ring a friend? Why not ring a family member? Why not play with the kids? What's actually truly going on? Bring that awareness to yourself. Take that big, deep breath and say, what do you need right now? Because food isn't going to solve anything for you long term. That is the biggest thing I would say. Implement that pause. Wait 20 or 30 minutes. Think of it like this. It's like it's, there's a thing called urge surfing. And it, it's, it's like a wave arises up when you get that urge that you need food. And then it crashes back down. So the key is that we need to ride that wave of emotion. Wait 20 or 30 minutes. If you want the food after the 20 or 30 minutes, go for it. But generally, the, the feeling of whatever is going on in your body right now tends to pass. If you look at it, the feeling is not always with you all the time. It comes in surges, it comes in waves. It's when you're potentially being present. It's when you're not trying to do everything for everyone else. It's when you're, you're meant to be sitting down and relaxing. That's when thoughts come in. Thoughts are always, are, aren't always going to be positive. More often than not, they're going to be negative. They're there There is a reason for negativity. They're there to, for us to process things, to protect us. And we can't stop negative emotions. We can't stop negative thoughts. But what we can reduce is the amount of time we're leaning on food in order to deal with our things. Because if you look at it, they're still coming up even though you keep going for the food. If you are really, really struggling and you're an emotional eater, please do reach out for help. Reach out for guidance. If you're someone who has an eating disorder, please do go and talk to BodyWise or a counsellor or something like that. Go to your doctor and get a, get a, go and talk to someone. So first thing that we need to do is address your the change in the relationship with food. Food is always going to be there. If it isn't hunger, food's not going to solve it. So a t- couple of things we talk about there is urge surfing, psychological hunger, physical hunger, taking a big deep breath in saying, what do you need right now? Taking a big deep breath in and, say, and pausing and saying, right, I'm going to wait 20 or 30 minutes. What's actually truly going on? If it's loneliness or sadness or whatever is going on, what do you need right now? The next one that we're going to talk about is removing confirmation bias. And what do I mean by confirmation bias? So, confirmation bias is one of these things that it's a story that we've created about ourselves. And if you're looking to kind of delve into this a little bit more, I would highly recommend reading The Fit Mind by Pat Tively. He talks about this an awful lot in the beginning of the book. We are all great at creating these stories about ourselves and that we perceive about ourselves. And sometimes the labeling of I'm a yo-yo dieter can be one of those confirmation biases. So we adopt that identity of a yo-yo dieter in that the fact that we believe that if we are, if we say we're a yo-yo dieter, and then once we fall off the so-called inverted commas wagon, which doesn't exist, that you've created, um, that we end up acting like that person. But if you went out with the intent saying, right, I'm going to give this good enough, define what good enough is, whether three meals, two snacks, two three meals, three snacks each day, whether it be calorie counting, whatever it may be, whether it be having a takeaway with the family every Friday. Every single one of our clients, we recommend having chocolate every single day. We recommend having a takeaway more often than not every week to have a family night or a date night. One meal, one overeating episode can't derail, derail anyone. We all overeat. There's no issue with the amount of food that's in the world right now. The biggest issue that we face right now is how, like if the biggest issue we face right now is dealing with the abundance. It's not a shortage thing. It's an abundance thing that we have. We're not used to having so much, and that's why people are struggling with weight and obesity is is so high. We're not used to having so much. That's what the real struggle is. So confirmation bias, if you say that you're a yo-yo dieter and someone says to you that you're a yo-yo dieter, someone makes a comment about your weight, well then if they've said it, well then it must be true. But it's because you've made that story up, you've created that story and because someone else has said it, it must be true. So you're getting two and two together and getting 27. It's not actually a truth. But in order to remove the confirmation bias, you must challenge the narrative around the challenging the relationship with food first. So removing the confirmation confirmation bias of, oh, I'm fat. Fat's not a feeling. Fat's not an identity. But I'm overweight is the next thing that will come in. You may be overweight, but that doesn't make you less of a human. Your kids don't love you for being a certain weight. Your family don't love you because of being a certain weight. Your partner doesn't love you for being overweight. But you're making that the, the, the most important thing about you right now. Because of potentially your social media feeds, you're looking at the media, you're looking at the, the newspapers, all that kind of stuff. But what you can do for yourself right now is making sure that you are actually challenging yourself and saying, right, is this an actual truth? One if you listen back to the episode, client interview with Grace, because it's fresh in my head because one of the clients that I'm currently working with right now has listened to this episode and she said it hit her like a ton of bricks. Write out what you're feeling. The thought that you have about the kind of like the confirmation bias that you have and write it into two columns on a piece of paper. One, the left-hand side, the whole thing of um, fact the opinion. On the left-hand side, write out the fact. On the right-hand side, an opinion. And whatever thought comes into your head, write it out and put on the left-hand column or the right-hand column, in the fact column or the opinion column. You will find that you are probably more often than not, it's an opinion that has been created by you or by society and you have latched onto rarely the things that we actually believe about ourselves are actually true. The people-pleasing thing, whatever it may be, that's the want to be wanted by other people. That's not the need. That's a big thing. But in relation to confirmation bias, it's challenging that narrative that you created. What do you need right now? That's the biggest thing. So then the third one that we're going to be looking at is in relation to labeling of foods. So you may hear the words like treat, good v. bad, whatever it may be. And I'm, it, this is one of those things that kind of comes up on with language with clients all the time. The words treat, the words uh, sin, the words good v. bad, the, 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 whatever it may be, whatever made up bollocksology that's in the world at the minute. But you have to look at it from a point of view, how can a food be good or bad? If it's bad, how can it be bad? A food's not going to come in and kidnap your family. It has no morals. And then what people say, well, if you ask them how, like, how is a food bad, they'll say, well, it's, I'm going to put weight if I have it. Okay, so that's actually challenge How will you put on weight if you, say, have a carbohydrate? They're like, well, it's going to make me gain weight, but how is it going to make you gain weight? I actually challenge the narrative again. Fact for opinion. Carbs won't make anyone gain weight unless they're in a consistent caloric surplus. That you're eating too, too many calories for your body consistently. That's how weight gain is put on. If you break it down, a chicken fillet is worth the same. is roughly in and around the same amount of calories as a sliced bread. Depending on the slice of bread, obviously, in the brand. But yet we don't feel as negative towards the chicken fillet. A bag of potatoes is 120, 130 calories. It's the same amount of calories roughly as a, as, a, as a chicken fillet. Nutritionally, they're very different, but calorie-wise, they're similar. So it's not that they're going to make you gain weight, and which is a big thing, is that you value the weight. That's the key to this. You're linking the value of that the food is going to make you gain weight, and then that's the massive value. That you see him gaining weight as a negative. And that's the story again. Why is gaining weight negative? That's the biggest thing. It's because it's been perpetrated in society for a very long time that if we gain weight, we're a failure. That's a great story. It's a cool story. It's a cool narrative. But it doesn't mean it's the absolute truth. Anyone can write anything into the media, anyone can write anything or say anything on a podcast. But it's up to us, are we, are we pushing our own bias onto things? Any article, any podcast right now, you could. Uh, this is bias. This is my opinion. Every single one of us is biased. But when it comes back down to kind of labeling good v. bad food, we have to look at it from a point of view of just because a food has more calories in it doesn't make it negative. Just because a food has more calories in it doesn't make it, that's going to make you gain weight. Because ultimately it's consistent effort that makes us of, of eating more than our body needs that makes us put on weight a consistent effort over time when we eat less is maybe what, what makes us gain, lose weight so one meal is not going to have a massive impact one meal out or whatever is not going to have a massive impact a treat, some people like the word I'm not a huge fan of it because I prefer clients to label the actual food itself Leanne Ward came up with the amazing thing of it, it's a soul food it's good for the soul it's an amazing thing so foods can't be good or bad just because a chicken fillet is glorified or whatever it may be in the media or whatever it may be doesn't make it better than potentially a packet of crisps they're both roughly around the same calories but they have very very different nutritional value very very nutritional different nutritional values and sometimes, you know what? Sometimes you just want the packet of crisps. And that's okay. But it's the language you're using around yourself and the food guilt that may come in afterwards is the big thing. Food guilt means that you've done something wrong. Honouring hunger. Honouring yourself. Giving yourself unconditional permission to eat. Having a meal out with family, friends, whatever it may be. I see nothing wrong with those. So what are we actually pushing onto? or pushing our own agenda of... The good v bad food. So it leads back to the first one again, change and work on the relationship with food. The next one is solely focusing on the weighing scales. The scales is one of those things that an awful lot of people do struggle with. Society has made it that like seem emphasis on seam that we are can only weigh a certain amount and we'll be happy. I've seen countless clients get to a certain weight and then when they get to that number that they were like, I want more. It gives you this fleeting thing. And if we think about it, we get this dopamine hit, reward hormone, as we go through the process rather than actually when we get to our goal. So you need to be able to enjoy the process rather than actually end up at the right goal. Because I guarantee you're not going to be happy when you get to a certain weight because you'll end up wanting more. And I've seen it countless, countless times it's still going to be the same person driving the, the, the body. It's still going to be the same person, with the same brain going to be driving it. It's the six inches between your two ears that are going to be in control of the journey. That's the biggest factor. The scales is going to go up and down. It's going to be like the weather, it changes. It's going to be like the stock market it goes up and down. But if it's something for you that it's impacting your mood and you're stopping on a daily basis and it's impacting your mood, that you're fine beforehand and then you're upset afterwards... You need to look at what are you doing? Are you attaching your self-worth to it? Why is it making you upset? Why are you saying that I feel fat? Why are you saying that I, it's, I, I'm less of a person if I step on it? So we have to look at it from a point of view of this is the confirmation bias coming in again. That we're attaching the story of our self-worth, our self-esteem, which is based off what other people think, basically. That we're attaching those to the story that when the scales goes up, we're attaching our own confirmation bias to that weighing scales and what it reads. Just because the scales goes up and it's going to go up and it's going to go down and it's going to go back up again. It's going to remain the same. Just because it goes up doesn't make you less of a person. It makes you human. The human element is the key to it. If you're a woman listening to this, there's going to be certain stages of the cycle where your fluctuations are going to go up and down on the scales. And that's why it's so important that you look at like weeks with like weeks. And what I mean by that is compare your week of your cycle in April to week of your cycle in May, and week before in April to week before in May, and you'll get a more accurate reading. Compare the similarities together. Compare the like with like, and you'll get a more accurate reading. It's like comparing the weather in December to the weather in May. They're two very different readings whether in December is pretty dreary, and then in the summer, it's meant to be pretty decent. That's exactly what we're trying to bring it up to. So focus on non-scale victories, the likes of strength in the gym, energy, libido, confidence, your clothes. You don't go into a shop looking for a size 70 kilos. You need to look at the long-term game and say, right, am I only outcome-based? If you're solely outcome-based, nothing's really gonna happen, nothing's really gonna change. You need to be more process-oriented. What do I need to do to get to this goal? Tell me what you'll do in a day and I'll tell you where you'll be in a year. Rather than focusing on losing 20 kg or whatever it may be, focus on losing the first pound if you're on a weight loss journey. Focus on what do I need to get to on my goal. I need to go for three walks a week. I need to get more regular meals in. I need to address my stress. I need to address my sleep. I need to address my emotional eating. These kind of things are the things that we need to look at. They're bigger picture things that a lot of people don't want to deal with because they're unsexy. Well, the unsexy stuff is what works. I don't care what anyone says to you. If the six inches between your two ears isn't playing ball, it's very difficult to do anything. So you need to look at where you want to be and look at what you need to do to get there. Think of it this way. When you save for a mortgage, or saving for a car or a holiday, you put in X amount of money into an account for it to save Sort of builds up and builds up and builds up. It's the exact same thing. Focus on losing the first pound if you're on a weight loss journey, not rather than trying to focus on losing the 10 kg. But bring in the non-scale victories. Pick out an effort that you want to get into. What do you need to do in, where do you want to be in three months' time? Where do you want to be in six months' time? Where do you want to be in nine months' time? And so many of the clients that we work on a daily basis have shifted their goals completely. And I think one of my longest, my longest term client at the minute has been with me for, say, three years, three and a half years, um, and now she's like, I just want to get shit strong, and she's holding my deloads and all this. Stuff. She has all the, the PT lingo, and it's amazing to see because she came from this background of being shamed in a fit, in a slimming club, and like that's not conducive to anyone. That's a PT or or that's like that's a person pushing their goal onto the individual, rather than the individual wanting to do something. It can't always be about the scale, so bring in non-scale victories. The next one is in the regular meal side of things. One of the biggest tips that I always say to to someone is the importance of regular meals. It's one of the biggest things I would say that links in with number one, which is the relationship with food. If you eat more regularly, you will not be hungry and you won't have as much energy dips. But if we leave longer gaps in our meals, or in our day with meals, our concentration goes, our energy goes, our mood goes, and we tend to pick that a little bit more in the evenings when we want to eat the press. So if we're not counting calories, or we are counting calories, it doesn't really matter, regular meals will help you stay a little bit more consistent than you currently are. There'll be days where you don't hit three meals, two snacks, or three meals, three snacks in a the day. There are will be those days, but guess what? You're human. And it also allows you to have one of those snacks or Whatever number of snacks you want, as potentially chocolate or savoury, like crisps, if you want, include them in your day. The regular meals thing has helped so many of my clients, particularly with the emotional eating. Having that, writing that food log and saying, right, I'm, I'm having my more consistent meals. I'm feeling good. I feel whatever it may be, and it's also recognizing having that food diary whenever we are using it intermittently or or more regularly, depending where the where the client is at, and saying to ourselves. How am I actually feeling? What do I need right now? I'm noticing a trend that I'm kind of, I'm picking a little bit more in the evenings. Why am I picking in the evenings? What mood is consistently currently coming up? When is it happening? Is it happening on time of the month? Regular meals, consistency over time will help you a lot more. It'll help that, that kind of like energy. People are like, oh, I'm so tired in the evenings. Potentially because work, you haven't taken a break during the day. Our brains aren't made to work during the day. Our body and our brains need to be like relaxed. They're like a muscle. We can't always be taking information in or can't, always can't be listening to podcasts or can't always be listening to, to kind of audio books or whatever it is or can't be always looking on our phone and taking more information in. We don't need more information. We need more centered time for ourselves. That's what we need to do. We don't need more information. You know, a lot of people generally know what to do. But they're taking so much information in it's hard to know what to believe that's the hardest part for a lot of people is they don't know who to believe or what to believe at this stage perfect example is in relation to fruit I have a client who's over in Holland or Netherlands um and they were like oh I, my, my last coach told me I can't have fruit because of sugar I'm like well what about sugar and she goes well I thought I'd gain weight I've never heard anyone gaining or get being overweight from having too much fruit. you get the shits, but you, you won't from having too much fiber and stuff like that. But having fruit or smoothies and stuff like that is, is, is very small, minute things that we don't need to worry about. In in fact, if someone's kind of coming from a yo-yo the background, fruit and veggies can be your friend and kind of adding a little bit more substance to your meals alongside regular feedings of protein. But it's about having those regular meals more often than not. That is the big sentence more often than not. It would help to reduce your emotional eating. It would help you to work on your relationship with food by having those foods every single day. The last one is the reset button. If we're having to reset all the time, there's an issue with the approach. If we're going out every two, twice a week and then we're struggling to lose weight, well then the weekends are what's what's stopping us and we shouldn't need to reset. And If, the, if that's the approach that works for you when you want a slow approach, please by all means just go for it and that's working for you amazing but if you're getting frustrated with the process it's kind of like having the cake and eat it so we need to look at it from a point of view of if you're out for a night out what do you need to do the next day just go for the next meal win the next meal if you're so hung over to hell the next day and you haven't got your appetite get some water in have some fruit have some smaller meals throughout the day if possible have something small because generally what will happen is some people can get the other end is when they get hung over they're looking for more salty and they're tired uh so they go for more carbohydrate rich foods and something wrong with carbohydrates but your body's just kicked in and, sa- and your brain's just kicked in should i say so your brain is kicked in and because you're tired it's looking for the quickest hit of energy. And when our brain kicks in and says that, the foods that we go for are more like uh, salt sugary foods, more processed foods, more carbohydrate-rich foods, or fatty foods. There's nothing wrong with those foods, but they're the quickest source of energy your body's getting in. But the the kind of ups and downs, ups and downs of your energy levels are not going to, they're going to rise up your energy levels and crash them back down, and you're going to be hungry quite quickly afterwards. So this is the biggest thing. So breaking up a yo-yo dieting can take time. It will take time. If you're someone, it is possible 100%. But number one, you have to be in a position to, change, to want to change your relationship with food. Removing the confirmation bias and looking at and challenging those narratives and biases that you've created. The removal of good for bad foods. Focusing on non-scale victories. Bringing larger emphasis into regular meals. And then the reset button. One meal, one meal cannot derail anyone unless they allow it. If we're constantly having to reset every single day, it means that we haven't either dealt with our emotions the night before or when we overate so there's leads back into number one or we're letting the weekends get away from us and then we're getting frustrated and we give up because we're not clear on our goal we're solely we're solely outcome based rather than process based. The right approach allows and entertains and permits nights out the right approach allows entertains permits your favorite foods the right approach allows entertains permits um eating the foods that you want to enjoy food is always going to be there you owe it to yourself right now if you are up for it to work on yourself if you're tired of the 30 40 years 20 years 15 years 10 years or whatever it may be of the whole yo-yo dieting cycle culture Pop me a message if you're someone who is currently on Instagram, don't know who to believe. Pop me a message if you're if you want to re- improve your relationship with food. Pop me a message if you want to stop remo- having labels of good or bad food. Pop me a message. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um so if you if you did, please do let me know. And I hope you did. So please do share it up in your stories if you enjoy it. Tag friends. Send it on to friends, send it on to family members, whatever it may be. If you're interested in coaching, put myself, Jane, or Dallas, pop, pop me a message, pop me, click the link in the, in the write-up and let me know. And I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. So thank you so much for, for listening.